Welcome to IABC's podcast, The Voice, for marketers, communicators, and creative professionals everywhere. Brought to you by MediaStyle. This episode hosted by Danny Starr. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of The Voice. I'm your host, Danny Starr. And today we've got a, a really interesting topic. We're going to talk all about pharmaceutical marketing. I think this is going to be interesting because it's a, a, an area of marketing that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with, but I'm pretty sure everybody's pretty fam fam familiar with pharmaceuticals. Uh, so my, my guest here today is Dennis Sokolakis, who's the owner and president of DPS Original. That's correct. So we'll get into how you got into this a bit later, but sure. for now, why don't you tell us a little bit about DPS Original and the work you do? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me, Danny. Um, so DPS Original is a full-service marketing event strategy and health education agency. Um, we have a variety of clients. We do work with, hence the topic, uh, big clients such as uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb, uh, Pfizer, some emerging companies as well, and we do all sorts of ranges of therapeutic categories we work on from infant nutrition to arth arthritic pain, um, cardiac arrhythmias, all sorts of things that, that health is required. And we market as a third party for the, the big companies essentially. Uh, we're a small team, right now we're a team of seven, but uh, we started roughly three years ago and we're growing, which is exciting. So let's maybe start off by talking about how big in North America is the pharmaceutical industry? Sure, and actually to be, I might as well take another step, yeah. it's actually global, obviously, yeah. around all, all continents. It's, it's very large. Um, the one thing I always tell people is that the biggest brand in the world, they always say, is Lipitor, yeah. which is the uh, product for cholesterol reduction. That is, in theory, the largest grossest selling product ever. Um, and then and Pfizer makes that, and actually one of, another one is Celebrex which is our, for arthritic pain. So massive, massive brands um, in the market of Canada, as an example, you know, you're looking at a marketing budget of $25, $30 million just for the marketing of it. And then uh, in the US uh, spectrum, always multiply that by 10. So the marketing is massive, then the gross sales, of course, are quite large. So billions, four billion? Billions of dollars, billions of dollars. Um, you know, I don't know the exact number for Lipitor, but uh, I do know, you know, you're looking at for sure, you know, two, three billion dollars in sales a year, for sure. It's massive, obviously, and I think people know that. Yeah. Um, one thing I always premise though is as exciting as to talk about the cost of, of running a manufacturing pharmaceutical company is also quite large. So there's no perfect uh, brand or perfect company out there or we'd all invest in it obviously. And the reason I say that is because even though the sales are enormous, so are the cost of getting a product to market, which of course would be research and development. When we look at pharmaceuticals, I guess we have sort of two broad categories, right? We have the prescription market right? Um, and then we have the over-the-counter. And could you briefly describe like what the difference between prescription and over-the-counter is? Sure. So over-the-counter is actually self-explanatory. It's the <laughs> products you would see on the counter. Um, but what drives that often is the patent length that a company would have for a product. So um, an example is there's clinical trials, obviously, to make sure the product is, is effective and safe. Then the FDA or Health Canada would approve that product. Then once it comes to market, uh, physicians or doctors would prescribe it with a prescription pad, but then there's only a period of time that product has a patent to be effective for that. Usually it's 10 to 15 years. 
So in year 15, then it goes over the counter and then the generic companies can, of course, uh, mimic and basically sell the same molecule at a much reduced price. So an example could be for those who have hay fever or allergies, Reactin is a good example that Pfizer makes. That's an over-the-counter product. You can just walk into your grocery store or your pharmacy and, and buy it from the counter. That used to be, those kind of products used to be prescription-based Oh, really? Exactly. So once they come off patent, they go over-the-counter. Is that in Precisely. every case? I, in 99% in of the cases. Yeah. Some products go direct over-the-counter because there's no prescription required. So you have some people who have eczema or for skin, some kind of skin reaction. That might go straight to over-the-counter, like a cream or whatever. But 99% of the time, if it's a tablet, it usually, there's a patent for it. And that actually is to protect the pharmaceutical company so that they can make the revenue off of it, obviously, because in fairness to them, they're the ones that did the innovation, spent the multi-million dollars in clinical trials to get the product to market. That's the capital society that allows the pharma company to actually benefit that from a revenue standpoint over 10 to 15 years before the copycats come out and essentially just reproduce the molecule. So talking about some of those research costs or the costs of bringing a, a, sure. a drug to, to market, um, I understand that pharmaceutical companies have a broad portfolio of drugs that are in various stages of approval, right? right. So it's sort of like a bunch of, you have a bunch of different products in the pipeline. Some of them are gonna be hits. Some of them are not gonna get approved. Some sure. of them are gonna be misses. And the idea is you cover uh, all the say losses with all the wins, right? For sure. So obviously, you know, it's what the company likes to position themselves as. Some are experts in therapeutic pain. Some are experts in rheumatoid arthritis. Some are experts in cardiovascular. Um, a lot don't want to um, go a different direction other than what their specialty is in. That being said, when they see an opportunity, obviously they would clearly go for that. I would see the pharmaceutical market very similar to the high-tech market, where we'll say in the 90s, you had Microsoft buying the small little startups that had the technology. Well, same thing is with the Pfizer and Bristol-Myers Squibbs of the world, they see an emerging technology in a certain therapeutic category, they'll buy it. Mm -hmm. So essentially, they're, they're purchasing the research and development from the small companies that come up with you know, a very clever, unique idea. Certainly the most popular, the most um, market generation gain products are cardiovascular, so I think involving the heart weight loss, obviously we know the epidemic that's occurring in North America, um, and there's certain other emerging topics such as uh, autism is a good example in pediatrics where you know it's, it's very um, prevalent, the numbers are increasing, and society wants an answer to that. So as a result, the pharmaceutical companies will step in. But just to be crystal clear, there's a, a pharmaceutical company manufacturer, but on each pharmaceutical company there's a series of clinicians on the team, obviously. PhDs, doctors, uh, masters of science, what have you, they also have input as to what the product, what the company should be pursuing in terms of product discovery or some kind of cure for some kind of disease, et cetera. Then let's start getting more specific about how pharmaceuticals end up at the consumer from a marketing standpoint, right? I guess. Uh, uh, prescription, you have to be talking to the physicians, right? They're going to be writing the scripts, so you have to educate them and uh, and have them understand the effectiveness of the medication so that they can be writing the prescriptions. How does that all happen? Sure. So most pharmaceutical companies have a sales force of some kind, actual employees for the company that actually are out there day-to-day -day essentially providing education, communication to doctors or nurses or whatever kind of staff. And there's also different kind of tiers of the sales reps with some approach specialists. So for example, we go back to the skin issue. If for doctors that treat skin disease, there'd be dermatologists they would go call on or approach. 
the reality is, is the general practitioners or the, or the general physicians, family physicians, they cover such a wide range of topics, it's impossible that, for them to be up to date on things on a daily basis. Hence the role of the sales rep by the manufacturers or the companies. So these sales reps would come in on a daily basis uh, representing variety companies with their brochures or their detail aids, what we call them, or their dose cards, whatever, just to provide guidance for the physician. That all to be said, what's interesting, of course, nowadays with the emergence of the internet, obviously in online marketing. So what we're seeing is kind of a reverse pattern where the patient sees a lot of things online, mm -hmm. goes to the doctor and says, you know, I have, my arm is sore, I, I have this symptom, you should treat me the following product, give me Celebrex. Physicians don't like that, of course, because unfortunately we can't control what's on the web, obviously. There's a lot of blogs, a lot of people who have certain kind of health problems. They on the blog will say you should take the following where the physician wants to be educated by the sales rep. So it's pretty much a direct to physician kind of marketing where you give your 30 second call or your one minute call, five minute call, depending on how much time you have. And then obviously the physician is educated with the goal obviously of prescribing the product. That's pretty much how it works. Some of the controversy around pharmaceutical prescription drugs has been off-label uses or, or, or physicians or you know, there's been allegations of, of reps promoting off-label uses for drugs and stuff like that. What are some of the things the industry's done to, to combat some of those problems? Right, and as you said, it's extremely controversial. So I, I can tell you right now that my company would never be associated with something like that, obviously. That all to be said, there is regulatory bodies out there that do confront that. And I think as a society, like in any industry, we're learning as we go on, right? So that being 2013 now. So in Canada's example, there's the Pharmaceutical Advertising Advisory Bureau, PAB, you can go to PAB.ca, P-A-A-B.ca. They are a physical governing body that must approve any marketing message whatsoever. So if you have a brochure uh, that Pfizer does on Lipitor, all those messages must be approved by PAB. That's a completely external body that's been regulated by the government as well as by the pharmaceutical companies to ensure that all messaging is correct. And as you said earlier, is, is on label, not off label. The other uh, association people should be aware of is called RX and D, so RX and prescription and D, and that is basically a self-policed governing body by all the pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Novartis, Bristol-Myers Squibb, CEOs, presidents, VPs have all come together to make sure that in addition to the marketing, no, none of the other nonsense activities is taking places. So, you know, the good old days, so what I've heard, I've never really seen it myself, but back, you know, before I was born, the good old days of golf tournaments, that kind of stuff, and fancy trips are long gone. That's, that's, again, that's 30, 40 years ago, so I read in the literature. But I can tell you that these governing bodies have put their foot down because we all agree that there's no value in that for anybody. The ultimate goal, of course, is to treat the patient. It would seem, though, based on the fact that there's a, a lot of regulatory uh, hurdles you have to go through or steps that need to be taken when you're marketing pharmaceuticals, then... Um, do you find that pharmaceutical marketing is a very uh, specialized field? Yes, that's I think one of the values we might bring as an agency, DPS Original Healthcare, is that you know you have to understand the science and you have to be able to convey the message in an appropriate, ethical, fair manner. The thing is with every claim, marketing uh, claim. So you know Pepsi is uh, the love of the new generation, whatever their tagline is. That's the claim they have. A pharmaceutical product when they have that claim must be substantiated by some kind of publication or literature. So if you say Celebrex treats arthritis 10% uh, better than uh, an NSAID, which is another product, you'd have to have what study proved that. 
that's a very laborious and very um, uh, detailed type of work where you always have to go through all the studies because every physician out there only wants to see the data. You can have messaging until you're blue in the face, fancy buzzwords, what, what have you, but they want to see the data. What trial proved that of over a thousand patients can do the following? So what you're doing is you're actually you know, matching the clinical trials and publications with the marketing messaging. So then how did you get involved in, in pharma? Like, how did you make the transition into pharmaceutical marketing? <laughs> Great question. And, you know, I do teach a class um, in the city of Ottawa at uh, Telfer School of Management. Often I get that, that question as well. I just teach one class. But I was backdoor route. So I did my Master's of International Marketing in, uh, at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland. And then an opportunity came up with a company called Putnam Associates, which is a, a consultant leader by far in, in pharmaceutical companies in the U.S., and I had my master's in marketing, that's it. They taught me the science. So 15 years later, I believe I've, you know, my team has the capabilities, but what happens usually is you do a science degree and you learn the business, or you do the business degree and you learn the science. So, um, and a lot of people, it's, it's a hot, hot market. Uh, I can tell you that the market, unfortunately, has declined slightly. There used to be roughly um, anywhere from one sales rep for every eight physicians. Now there's one sales rep for every 16 physicians. So, and there's been a big decline, and one of the big decline reasons is there hasn't been any big blockbuster products in about 10 years. The big, big, big brands like Enbrel, which is for RA, Celebrex, um, Lipitor, those big brands, Spiriva, all came out roughly in the 90s and early 2000s. So the industry is really looking for some emerging products to kind of build the industry again. But certainly it's hot, there's no doubt about that. Well, that's great and definitely given us some things to think about here today and some things to look for in the future. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you if they want to know more? Sure. You could always email us directly at info at dpsoriginal.com. Um, and for those who have actual questions about me, about the industry or the kind of services we provide from advisory boards, event strategy, marketing, marketing communications would be dennis at dpsoriginal.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're also on LinkedIn. We're also on Facebook. All right. Thanks a lot for coming in today, Dennis. Great being here. Thanks so much, Danny. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye now. Well, this has been another episode of The Voice. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Once again, if you want to subscribe to The Voice, you can do so on iTunes and leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Have a great day. You've been listening to the podcast of the International Association of Business Communicators, produced in Ottawa at MediaStyle. For more information, visit ottawa.iabc.com.